0: I think that as we go through life, there's some questions that we ask ourselves. Some questions that have to do with our existence. What's really necessary? What's truly essential to live today? If we were to ask a biologist, he would tell us that the essentials of life are water, air, and food. If we were to ask a chemist, A chemist would tell us that the essentials of life are all the vitamins and minerals that compose our our body. If we were to ask an existentialist, he would tell us that the essentials of life are a good mask, a good bunker, and maybe a really, really good shotgun. (laughs) But the reality is that as we think about all these things, we are more than what we can see we had more physical needs because we were created to be spiritual creatures we were created to share the spirit of god so if we have all these essentials but not the spirit of god all we're doing is that we're just existing so how can we live life to the fullest in a world that is constantly changing? What are the things that truly matter? See, this is a graph that shows us the, the, the four industrial revolutions. And probably you remember from history or from your classes in, in high school, that in the 1700s, at the end of the 1700s, was the, the industrial revolution when machines begin to do work that before was done only by animals or by hand. Then at the end of the 1800s, the second industrial revolution. And that's when, when mass production began. Now things were not made one at a time, but now machines are making things faster and creating them in, in mass in, in, in graded quantities. By the middle of the 1900s, we have the third industrial revolution. And that industry created machines making machines. Kind of like a line from Star Wars, Right? Machines making machines. But now, we live in a time of the fourth industrial revolution. And that is that it's not about machines. It's about ideas. About ideas. If you have a great idea, you can sell it. Even, even though you, can't, you, you don't produce a thing. But if you have a great idea, you can make a lot of money. So in this fast-paced world, in this world where it's constantly changing, what are the things, what are the things that we truly need to live life the way God intended it to be? I'd like to share with you this morning and through this whole series that will take us to the end of August about these essentials that we need. But today, I'd like to begin with the first one, and that is that we need power to live on. We need power to live on. Are you tired at times? Do you wake up in the morning like thinking, man, I'm more tired than I went to bed? You know, it, it is so crazy that now more than ever we see energy drinks and, and, uh, and, and vitamins and, and gummies that have caffeine. And, and some of you are thinking, yeah, I need one of those just about now. Because we feel tired. We need power to live on. And, and, and it is no wonder, according to, to, to uh, uh, this article by, by G.E. Miller, he says that in 134 countries around the world, they have loss, setting the maximum length of the work week. In other words, in these countries, they have a, a, a maximum amount of work per week, except in the U.S. Right? Now, if you thought that was bad, look at this one. 85.8% of men and 66.5% of women work more than 40 hours a week. And, and, and understanding that there's more females than males, that means, that means that about 85% of the population works more than 40 hours a week. Check this one. Americans work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British workers, and 499 hours more than French workers. I think Paris looks pretty good right now. No wonder that we are a tired country. We work too much. So more than ever, we need power to live on. But where, where can this energy that we need can come from? The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 40, it's right there on your notes. You received these notes in the bulletin when you, when you came in. It says, even you will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But thus, but those who trust in the Lord will find strength. Now this is quite interesting. This is quite interesting. Because see... When we hear the translation, when we read our translation into English, it says those who hope in the Lord or those who trust in the Lord. Because in reality, the the term in in the Hebrew is not neither trust or hope. It's the notion that someone is ready to do something that before could not be done. See, in any sport, if you ever play any sport, there's a position that is called the ready position. You've heard of that? Okay, I'll explain it to you even better. When when runners are about to run in the track, they are positioned lower to the ground in a place that is called the block. And when the gun shoots, when the sound of the gun is heard, all the runners take off real quick, right? Okay, that moment... When they hear "Get that and bah, that moment is the expression that is written here. notice why those who are ready to act upon the Lord will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not get weary they will walk and not faint. The prophet Absaiah is saying that this Waiting, this hoping, this trusting, this getting ready is to do something. It's not just to sit down. You don't need energy to sit down. Are you with me? Yeah. So the prophet is saying, we are tired, we are weary, we're exhausted. But you know what? God is willing to give us the power to live on. Okay, two people are awake. Good. Good. Now, but this ready position, this expecting on the Lord, this hoping on the Lord, we have a theological term for that. It's called worship. Worshiping is acknowledging that on our own, we do not have the strength that we need to do what needs to be done. Worship is acknowledging it's someone higher than us, someone wiser than us, someone more powerful than us, that is so giving, that is willing to give what we need so that we can accomplish what we cannot do. So that is exactly what is happening here. Notice what Psalm 46 verse 10 says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. What is God saying here in in Psalms? When you worship me, when you understand what I am, the source of all power, you will be amazed what I can do with you. Just watch. That's uh, Bikini Translation, 2020. Now, it says, be still. That means that we cannot allow distractions. To enter into our focus. Imagine that a runner is about to run. But when, it, when they say, get set like, oh, look at that guy on the stands. <laughs> right? It, it, it just doesn't work. You know he's going to lose, right? You know he's not going to be ready when, they, when, when the shot happens. And then he says, know that I am God. Know. Now this word to know, it's so amazing because it denotes an experience. An experience. You see, this is what happens in reality. We know about celebrities, but we don't know them. Right? We, in fact, yeah, we know too much about them, but we don't know them. And even worse, they don't even know we exist. But God is saying, You see, when you know me, I know you. In fact, God says, I know you better than you know yourself. So God is saying, see, when you have an experience with me, you will learn to know me. So this experience that God wants us to have, it's called worship. And that's when the power that we need to live on comes from. The second essential that we need today is that, We need to understand that I need people to live with. I need people to live with. And I know you're looking around and you're like, no, not really. But you do. You do. You do. You see, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Okay, let's stop right there. It is not good. What's the opposite of not good? What? What? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, what's the opposite of not good? Good, okay, okay. I hear bad, I was like, what? Okay, so, so the opposite of not good is? Good, good. In fact, every time that God, through the um, week of creation, finished something, he said, and it was? Good. But right after that Adam is made, He looks at Adam and he says, it's not good. But let's keep reading. It is not good for man to be alone. So in other words, man cannot be complete until there is company. Let me say that again. Women cannot be complete until there is company. This has nothing to do with Valentine. <laughs> but it has everything to do, listen well, it has everything to do with relationships. We were created to be relational creatures. Now, first, our first relationship has to be with God. Our second relationship has to be with other people. And by now, after three years of listening to me preach, you already know what this means. <laughs> no. Relationship with God, relationship with people. That's no cross. This is not a blessing of any way. Okay? It's God, people. Okay? God, people. All right? So by now, you should know what this means. Relationship with God, relationship with people. No cross, no blessing, nothing. Okay? Now, this relationship situation, we have a theological term for, the, term for that. It's called fellowship. Just like the first one is worship, power to live on, people to live with is fellowship. We were created to be relational creatures. That means that in Christianity there's no such a thing as lone ranger christians we need people we need people in fact we need people so much that there was this article written by Vanderhorst and McLaren that, talking about social relationships and predictions of uh, mental health and depression. And notice what it says. Results indicated that fewer social support resources, resources were associated with higher levels of depression and suicidal ideation. So now, check this out. The more lonely you are, the more chances to get depressed. The more relationships you have, the least chance of getting depressed. So we were made not only by the Bible not only by science proving it we were made to be social creatures. So if you think that if you live a lone ranger Christianity that you come to church by yourself you don't talk to anybody you leave right away before anybody says hi to you guess what we're going to be with you in heaven for eternity. So you better start talking to us now. (laughs) All right? Because you cannot live on this world alone. We were made to be social creatures. And Hebrews 10, 25 says, and probably some of you already know this by by heart. And let us not neglect, let us not neglect our meeting together. Let me read that again in case you didn't get it. Let us not neglect our are meeting together. Are what? Meeting together. meeting together. That means don't forget to get together with other believers. As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Amen. Especially now. How many of you believe that the second coming is closer now than ever before? Amen. So now is the time that we have to start getting together even more. Nobody understands a believer better than another believer. Now, I, I think we're here because we want to be ready for when Jesus returns. Amen? But there's two things that we need. A relationship with God and a relationship with others. Because we are made to be relational. The third essential that we need for today Is that we need to remember that we need principles to live by. We need principles to live by. To be a productive member of society, we need to live on a solid foundation of morals, ethics, and principles. In other words, our words, our actions, our choices need to be dictated. From a solid core. Because we are going to spend eternity based on the code that we lived on earth by. Are you with me? So let me explain this. If the code, if my foundation on earth does not agree with the core of morals of heaven, it's gonna be pretty hard that I'll be comfortable in heaven. So because God loves you so much, he's not gonna take you there because you're not gonna be happy. So what I need to do is to match my code of behavior, my code of ethics, my code of principles, With the code of ethics of heaven. So that when I get to heaven, I can be happy and comfortable. Are you with me? And Psalm 119 says, I am only a foreigner in the land. I am only a foreigner in the land. And I don't know if you realized, but the Bible is so explicit about our situation on earth. And it says that we don't belong to this earth. We don't belong on this society. We don't belong on this planet as it is today. We are foreigners. We are sojourners. We don't belong here. We belong to heaven. So if I belong to heaven, my foundation needs to be a heavenly one. And that dictates the way I'm going to act. And notice what he says. I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. In other words, because I don't belong here, what I need is to follow your word. So that I can live those principles from heaven where I belong. I'm going to dare to tell you this this morning. The Bible, the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, have everything we need for us to live today. But we have to, as creatures of this time and of this place, we face ourselves in situations when we have to make decisions. Tough choices. For example, in November, we have to make a tough choice. And if I were to follow the principles of the Bible, if my foundation is from the scripture, I would have to choose a candidate that fights for women's rights and protects the unborn. If I were to follow the principles of the Bible, I would have to to choose a candidate that welcomes the immigrant and protects our country at the same time. If I were to follow the principles of the Bible, I would have to choose a candidate that promotes a strong economy and helps the needy. If I were to follow the principles of the Bible, I would have to choose a candidate that demonstrates high morals and a strong Foreign policy at the same time. If I were to follow the principles of the Bible, I would want a candidate that wants to save the planet but wants to save people even more. So, see, when I see Christians adhering to a political party more than the principles of the Bible. It makes me sweat. Because I know that we're missing the point. Because the wisdom of God will most likely contradict the wisdom of man. Because we are not perfect. But the word of God is always heavenly minded. And if I am going to live on a solid foundation, the Bible has to speak more than any other source. I have a theological term for that. And that is sanctification. In other words, it's a spiritual growth. Because the more that I adhere the values of heaven to my life, the closer that I am to the character of God. So as I wait for Jesus to return and I'm adhering to his principles, to his word, I am becoming more and more more like he is. Therefore, I'm growing spiritually. And that in theological terms is called sanctification. Another thing that we need to understand as an essential for our life today is that we need a plan to live out. We need a plan to live out. We need an outlet to express the gifts and talents and ability that God has given us. We need some place, somehow, to use the things, the tools that God is installing us genetically, experientially, and that we have acquired and developed over time. In Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, God made us to do what kind of things? Good things. Good things. And and see, these good things that he he made us to do were not like, okay, you're born Jesus right now. Okay, you're going to do this thing. Uh, You look like you can do this other thing. No, it says right here that he planned these things to be done long ago. That means two things. And listen carefully. That means two things. That he planned you long time ago. And see, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. There might be unwanted babies, but there's no... And plan babies. So God planned you to exist today long time ago. And along with that plan, he planned the things that you were going to do with a package of abilities, talents, gifts, and experiences that only you possess. Because that is God's plan. That is how he acts. Nothing happens with, without God allowing it. And then now you're asking the question, well, if everything happens the way God wants it to happen, then what is my free, where is my freedom of choice? Well, here it is. You choose to be part of the plan or not. You choose to accept, to follow, to learn, to discover or not. So we do have a freedom of choice. And the things that God has planned for his people are way better than what we could ever imagine. But we have to choose constantly what path to follow. You see, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a time of questioning. We call it the millennium. And that is a time of questioning, but we'll ask questions, but God will also ask questions. And one of those questions are gonna be like this What did you do with the gifts that I give you? Imagine if our salvation would depend on our works will be toast. The awesome thing is our salvation depends by grace on what Jesus has done. But I'm going to ask you the question. What have you done with the gifts that God has given you? You see, God gave us a shape. And we'll talk more in detail about this in the following weeks. But see, God gave us a shape. And our shape is composed of our spiritual gifts. Our abilities, our passions, our experiences, and our personalities, and all these things make you who you are. And God made you that way, so that you can follow the plan for you. So in First Corinthians, it says in verse 12, it's rather in your notes, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. What kind of what kind of a spiritual gifts? Different kinds, not just one. See, there are different kinds, but the same spirit is a source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. You see, I, I think that, that what we do at church is limited but by a list of ministries. What we could do for the kingdom of God. Not necessarily needs to be chosen by a committee that says, okay, you are gonna be a leader in the church this year. I think that we can do things for the kingdom all the time, everywhere, wherever we are. Because the gifts that God has given us are not constrained to a place or, or a time. They are to be used throughout our entire life. In every area. So see, but a lot of times we, we, we make bad choices and we think, okay, I'm going to spend all my resources, all my time, all my effort to follow my big, my huge plan that I have for my life. But when I do that, I miss the biggest opportunity to make an impact on someone else's life. Because see, it's not about what I can do for myself. If we've learned anything about the person of Jesus, is that God is not about doing things for himself. God is about doing things for others. And as his children, should be about doing things for others, our greatest desire. In fact... There is a theological term for that. That's called ministry. All of us were created to be ministries. The priesthood of all believers. Not just a couple, not just a few, not just men, not just women. All believers. So if you are a believer, as you so eagerly claimed a couple of minutes ago, you are a minister. And God made you to do a specific task. And the last essential that I want to talk to you today is that we need a purpose to live by. Everyone needs to feel that their life matters. Everyone. Everyone. That is called purpose. Because when I live my life and I can go to bed being satisfied, being happy, regardless of how big my paycheck is, I'm living with purpose. Because there's people, there's people who their job is their life. In fact, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago that in New York, men who retire... They die within two years of retirement. I don't know why they chose New York. But I'm pretty sure that in California it's kind of close. Although we have the beach. But in New York, men, after two years of retirement, they die. Why? Because their life, their whole life was their job. And once they retire, they found no purpose in their life. So the question is, what could be my purpose? See, the Apostle Paul gives us a little bit of his experience. <clears throat> you remember that the Apostle Paul was from the very beginning of his life, he was a very unique individual. He was, citizens of two co- he was a citizen of two countries at the same time. He was... Instructed in a household where he learned the Gentile culture and the Jewish culture. He was able to move within two cultures without a hitch. But not just that. His ability to understand people and his intelligence took him to be one of the leaders of the Jewish faith in Jerusalem during the first century. Some historians and commentators believe, although it's not in the Bible, but the evidence is ample enough, that he was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the, the Congress for the Jews. So when the Christians began to grow in Jerusalem, he was given the charge to persecute the Christians, or as they were known back then, as the Way. They were followers of the way. You remember Jesus said, I am the way. That's why they call it that way. They were the way. So Paul, when the Christians move out of Jerusalem, is given a charge to persecute Christians. And he goes to Damascus. And as he's on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus in a very unique way because if you remember jesus had already died and resurrected so jesus appears to paul and jesus asked him a question as paul is on the ground tradition and hear me well tradition says that he fell from the horse which is logical because they were going to another town but the bible tells us that he was on the ground not necessarily off the horse but on the ground and he is blinded by the light that it Emanated from the presence of Jesus. And as he's blinded, he hears a voice. Saul, Saul. Why Saul? Because he was Saul of Tarsus before his name was changed to Paul. Why are you persecuting me? Why? 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 Paul could have said, well, Jesus, you know, I've been very faithful. I learned the Jewish tradition. And this way, it's not right. So I'm persecuting them. Was Paul doing something sincere? Yes. Was he doing something right according to his tradition? Yes. Yes. See, this is not about being sincere. See, in heaven, there's not going to be people saved because they were sincere. In heaven, heaven, there's not going to be people saved because they were honest. In fact, in heaven, there's not going to be people saved because they were faithful. In heaven... The only kind of people that will be there are people who knew Jesus, who had an experience with Jesus. So, Paul now has his own experience with Jesus. And now he feels as his character dictated, as his honesty, faithfulness, and dedication mandated, he goes to the leaders of the Christians. He wants to tell them, hey guys, you know what? I met Jesus. Imagine they're like, no, you were killing us last week. No. No. Nah. But notice that Paul was met by one of the elders who prayed for him for his eyesight to return after his encounter with Jesus. Now, Paul. It's faced with a choice. Do I preach about Jesus even though I know there's going to be another guy who's going to want to kill me like I was killing them? Do I preach about Jesus even though Christians don't trust me and they don't like me? What do I do? In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says, This is Paul. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish in the work assigned by me by the Lord Jesus. Are you with me? My life is meaningless if I don't do the task that Jesus gave me. My life is meaningless if I don't complete the purpose that I was brought to to the earth to do. The work of telling others... The good news about the wonderful grace of God. And you know, we have a theological term for this. It's called mission. God gave us all a mission. Now you got really, really quiet. I don't know why. God gave us all a mission. And that mission... Is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You know what's very interesting is that two years ago, uh, we got together with, with, with the church leadership. And we said, well, we ask a question. Who are we as a church? What are we here for? What are the things that we want to accomplish, accomplish as a church? What do we believe? What are our values? In asking those questions, we came to a point that we learn what our vision was as a church. Perhaps you've seen it. It's written on a bulletin. But I want you to understand it. Because see, in our vision as a church, we, we say that is to worship Jesus. Did you understand that the first essential that we need to live on this planet today is to worship? Also, we we are here to build relationships. Remember? We are here to build relationships. Relationships with God and relationships with other people. Also, we are here to grow spiritually. Sanctification? And we discover that the whole reason why we're here is so that we can serve others. And ultimately, that people who we get in contact with could be guided to Jesus. So in our vision statement, without even thinking about it, we found that we are looking to satisfy those five essentials that the Bible talks about. So in some ways, I truly believe that God was speaking to us. Because when we had all these things on the board and we put it together, and some of you might remember, Sam, Harry, if you remember probably, we put them in categories. And all the categories that we put together, there were these five. It was like God was telling us, guys... This is who you are. This is what I brought you into existence for. This is why in 2020 you exist in West Covina to impact the community in such a way that becomes so apparently biblical that there's no other way that you can think about your relationship with me. And you know, that led me to, to this text in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. It the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The kingdom of God, above all else, live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. When we focus on our experience, personal experience with God, when we gather together, To focus as a family, as a group of believers in God. God will put everything else in order. Our priority needs to be God. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has given us What? Everything, all the essentials that we could ever need and want, God is giving it to us. But notice what it says We have received all of this by coming to know Him, by having an experience with Him, by spending time with Him, by finding out what God is all about in our relationship with Him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. To know him. That means a personal experience. If there, there's one thing that I believe that all of us need. Because see, some of you were born with your parents coming to this church. Some of you were adults when you came to this church for the first time. Some of you are just finding out about this. So all of us have a different experience of, with God. So see, what happens is that regardless of what your background is, regardless of what your story is, all of us need a moment of conversion. That means that the, mo- the more times that you're exposed to the things of God, the greater the chances for that moment of conversion to occur. Are you with me? That is why we start at an early age. That's why we offer Sabbath school. That's why we offer Christian education. That's why we offer Pathfinders and Adventurers. That's why we have different programs for adults. That's why we have Facebook conversations. So that all of us can have a greater amount of exposure to God. So that at one point, when you are ready, when your, heart, when your heart is ready, God speaks to you like he did to Paul. And you experience that moment of conversion. Because at the end of the day, that is our mission. That is what we're here for. That is our purpose. So it is my prayer today that as we learn more about this Essentials of life, we need to start again. And that is why in this series that we titled Starting Point, the whole reason about it is because all of us, we need a starting point. And I pray that it is today when our relationship with God becomes so powerful, so essential that we cannot live without it.